everyone. Welcome to episode 91 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are here in Guilford, Connecticut, coming to you December 6th is the date that we're recording, which is... Happens to be... Our... Third... Birthday? Or anniversary? We don't know. Yeah, we're not sure what's appropriate here. We just know that on December 5th, 2016, we got together giggled a lot and recorded our very first episode episode one and then it posted on december 6 2016 right crazy so actually we probably recorded prior to december 6 because there's no way we were able to record and get up our first episode all in the in day you know what we could have that's true we could have yeah i don't remember it's all a blur at this point well and we recorded that first episode on my iphone Right. Look where we've come. Now we've got this fancy Zoom machine and new microphones and yeah. we're big time here at the at the Book Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> but we really weren't sure whether we should call it a birthday or an anniversary, so we're just going to well, do you both. Well, born on your birthday. The Book Cougars were born, but it's anniversary because it's three years together doing this. Right. Okay. We'll just take all the celebrations. Yeah, right. We're celebrating. <laughs> Tis the season. So we have to announce a congratulations to Anna. Anna in the UK was our winner of episode 90s giveaway. Which is really exciting. Our first international winner. Yeah. So congratulations, Anna. Now I have to figure out how to mail them, which I'm going to do after (laughs) we record today. And um, we wanted to talk a little bit about, before we get into our regular segments, about award ceremony drama drama yeah you know we were thinking about our reading and we're not ready to talk about our favorite reads of the year because it's just early December and we're still reading but we were talking about the drama of awards throughout this year you know there was the Nobel Prize drama that was uh, people were upset that Peter Handke shared the award in literature because he was a supporter of, oh, God, what's Slo- his name? Slobodan Milosevic. Milosevic, right. Yeah. yeah, you know, who was accused of war crimes. So that was a criticism, right, that he won the award to begin with. Wasn't last year the year that there was a big kerfuffle at Nobel for someone who had to resign because of sexual harassment, yes. right? Yeah, that was in 2017. It was uh, French photographer uh, Jean-Claude Arnault. He was married to Academy member Katerina Frostenson. 18 women accused him of sexual assault. Yeah, there's not much doubt there. Yeah. I mean, it's so, still an accusation, I think, at this point. Yeah. But still, so yeah. then more stuff came out. It wasn't handled well also. Yeah. And then so in 2017, they didn't award the Nobel Prize for Literature because of all of the kerfuffle there. Right. This year, they awarded it to two people, one of which was this gentleman that was then very controversial. So yeah. the controversy just keeps building. Some other drama that's been happening in the award world with Richard Ford. So Richard Ford was given the Library of Congress Prize for American Fiction. The controversy with that is that he has been openly racist. He actually spit in the face of Colson Whitehead years ago, and this was at a party after Whitehead wrote an unfavorable review of a book that had many unfavorable reviews. It wasn't like Whitehead stood out as like some kind of outlier and everyone else loved the book. But as recently as I think last year, Richard Ford said he doesn't have any change of opinion in how he handled that and he would still do the same thing 
Yeah, that's pretty intense. It is really intense. I was reading around a little bit about that because I've never read Richard Ford. I haven't either, but some of his writing is intriguing to me. Is it? Yeah, but I haven't because uh, yeah. I feel like he's so controversial. Yeah, I had an ebook or not an ebook, a book on CD Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I've never gotten around to that because a book on CD isn't as convenient anymore (laughs) as it once used to be. But one of the interviews I read with him, the interviewer asked him what is his relationship with his characters? And he said, slave and master. Oh, my. He said, at night, it's like I can hear them singing in their cabins. Wow. So I sit and listen to them. And then he said later, of course, I'm joking. Yeah, well, there's truth in every joke. (laughs) Right? You know, people could misspeak. They could be wrapped up in a moment. They could be taken out of context. But I think when you see a pattern of people saying things and behaving in a way. Right. That's when it becomes reprehensible. Yeah, and it's a tricky thing with awards and with um, honoring people's life work. Because how do you separate the artist in the artist's body of work from their personal opinions and, you know, behaviors. And I think sometimes that's really hard. I think so, too. And I think some people can do that. They can say this is a work of literature and I'm reading it. It's a contained thing. I tend to be the type of person who reacts emotionally to the author. Right. And I can or cannot read them then. It's just challenging. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky question. And it's a question that's being raised a lot now also in just author perspectives. And can they and should they be allowed to write from certain perspectives? And that's tricky when you start looking at history and how things have been written. I mean, things like even To Kill a Mockingbird. Harper Lee was a white woman, Southern woman, you know, and she was writing about a very racially charged incident in her book, which I'm glad that she wrote. But there's some question today if publishers would look at it and say, you know, should we be allowing you to write from these perspectives? I think at the one extreme, it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. to even talk about things like that because it's like we're all human. Right. If no one is writing this story, that's a tragedy. Like stories need to be written. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have anyone recording times in history, whether it's through nonfiction or fiction, that's just losing a big part of humanity right and the way we think and are yeah I mean I go back to when we got to see Jacqueline Woodson speak at book expo this year and she talked about that really a lot of the issue resides in the publishing industry in that we just need to have a wider breadth of representation within the publishing industry exactly, and that would help there to be books written from multiple perspectives by all different kinds of authors right you know yeah and that there be space in the industry for them to to not have to be self-publishing and things like that but really be represented by the big publishing houses right and I think even if you do have say a white writer writing about you know say Native Americans it's I think the intention has a lot to do with it the level of research and, you know, the proximity to populations and people. Right. I think that is a huge part of it because you look at, I'm reading um, a book that, um, well, Prairie Fires about Laura Ingalls Wilder. There's so much in the book about her daughter, Rose, um, who wrote very commercial, very stereotypical, mocking, condescending writing about people 
of various communities, you know, mm. and that's mm. just that's just gross. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. What other word can you right. use for that? It's just getting back to drama, <laughs> getting back to drama. Another one was the Booker Prize this year. That drama was around the fact that there were two books awarded. Two authors got awards when it should only be one. The guidelines say that they're choosing one work of fiction to be the best representing what they want to focus on for the year and that it's about the book. It's not about the author's body of work, but they gave it to Margaret Atwood for her body of work. Kind of a lifetime achievement award. Yeah. And then Bernadine Avaristo was the other winner. And that was, I think, her first novel. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are like, what's the big deal? And other people are like, well, if you're going to have standards and if your award says it's this, follow through. Well, especially in a situation like that, because you feel like, you know, this could have been your year to add an award. You know, you could have done a second award. We're going to start doing a Lifetime Achievement Award every year. And mm -hmm. Margaret Atwood's the first winner. But to kind of separate the main events. And I think, didn't Margaret Atwood even say, like, they didn't need to give this to me yeah, or something? Yeah, I know. Like, she doesn't need another award. Yeah. It's, you know, from her own mouth. Yeah. But, and so I think she handled it graciously and tried to give the, the, the other winner more the limelight and really you know for a new writer to be associated with margaret atwood is not a bad thing right but to be associated with drama i mean maybe it made both of them get more notice who knows mm -hmm. but yeah yeah so a lot going on in the yeah. in the award well, world and this then year there was another one in the mystery community in uh, the seamus awards which is given by the private eye writers of america at uh bunker con we had the episode where we talked about the different pronunciations of bunker con I thought it should be Boucheron, like Boucheron. a cheese. <laughs> I've heard people start calling it Beacon. That makes sense because totally nobody knows. That. I support that. Beacon. <laughs> Keep it simple, people. At the ceremony, Max Allen Collins, who's a writer, he wrote The, the Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, was made into, into a, movie. a movie. With Tom Hanks, I think mm -hmm. it was. And he's written many other things. He was giving an award and he jokingly said, there's a lot of furners on this list. You know, names he couldn't pronounce. Mm -hmm. So... This really was upsetting to the people at the award ceremony. And he had said that he didn't mean any harm. I guess his friend who had asked him to present the award has a hard to pronounce last name. And I guess it's kind of like an inside joke between the two of them. Uh, and he oops. said, and I even said furners mm -hmm. to imply that it would be an ignorant person who would say something like that. So he didn't mean any harm. He was just trying to add some levity. But of course, people on the receiving end were upset you know you know so then you have people saying well don't be so thin-skinned and and i think that's easy to say if you're not the one on the receiving end but sometimes when you are on the receiving end it just wears you down yeah. and it's just like last straw people right. well and sometimes it is hard to tell if someone's joking because yeah. it has to do with the way that they present it i mean not all of us are comedians know, you know by yeah. training right but you know it's interesting because it reminds me of when we saw min jin lee speak somewhere I don't know because we stalk her so we've seen her a few <laughs> times but where she said you know one of the things that's really hard now is that and I think she was actually referring to the younger generation but it's really hard to crawl back up from a mistake because things get put out into the world so quickly mm -hmm. and on so many platforms yeah you know so I do have sympathy for him in the sense that if it was intended to be a joke and he made a mistake boy, it got a lot of press, right. you know, and yeah. he learned the hard way, like, mm -hmm. 
not funny. Sometimes better to keep inside jokes inside. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why they, they're inside jokes. And when you're at a, a public ceremony or event, right. it may not be the time to do that. When and, you have a microphone in your hand. Right. Yeah. I mean, and things even five, ten years ago that people used to say, it's just not really accepted, right. acceptable anymore. And for good reason. Yeah. 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 There should be more sensitivity paid. Yeah. So there was one guy, um, and I believe it was a guy. I'm sorry. I don't remember his name in the comments. I don't always read the comments, but in one of the articles, um, about this, uh, Seamus awards controversy, I did read. And the person said that he said something, you know, off color on Twitter and was, really uh you know his twitter feed blew up mm. <laughs> so a lot of people putting him putting him down threatening him i yeah. think that's a scary thing because people don't just say god you're a jerk for saying right. that they actually threaten to kill you or your dog or whatever right. but he said you know there was one person who connected with him and basically helped educate him and see what was wrong about it and helped turn the situation into a lesson for the guy and i think we need more of that teachable moment yeah yeah it's good I mean that is some good does come out of bad you know I always say this I say this to my kids all the time I believe it myself we don't really learn from the easy stuff in our lives mm -hmm. we learn from the hard stuff in our lives absolutely yeah. you know and they can be really hard lessons and hard to get through but you're usually better when you get to the other side yeah so as long as nobody none of you know the threats don't come true or any stupid things like that Hopefully he'll know the next time he has a microphone in his hand to be a little bit more sensitive right. to the room that he's speaking to. Right. And know? if Richard Ford would say, gosh, you know, I'm sorry I spit in your face, Colson Whitehead. Right. That would make a big difference. But for him to say, I would still do the same thing. Like, yeah, that's harsh. It is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, one of the reasons we are also talking about this book award controversy is one of the other winners of the Nobel Prize in Literature. That was not controversial. It was not controversial. And I think people think she should have gotten it the year before when they didn't have an award because of their sexual assault situation reporting. How do I say that? Their sexual assault scandal. Right. The scandal. Sexual the assault scandal. scandal. Wow. Words. They can be tricky. They can be <laughs> recording at like 9 a.m. which is a little bit earlier so my brain is still warming up I'm like ready to go because I'm a morning person so Chris is doing well considering the hour <laughs> <laughs> but we wanted to talk about this drama partly because it's a lead up a, kind of a long lead up kind of a, yeah. <laughs> to our announcement of our 12th read along which yes. we're really excited about yes the book is drive your plow over the bones of the dead by Olga Tkarczyk. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Yes, I believe so too. And it is translated by Antonia Lloyd-Jones. Because this book was originally published in 2009 in Poland, but the translation copyright is 2018. So it was just translated into the English in 2018, which we're very glad it was. This book is a mystery. It is. It's a mystery thriller. And people in the mystery world were super thrilled that she won a Nobel because mystery writers, thriller writers are often put down as being genre. Right. As if all books aren't genre of some kind or another. That's my right. take on it's it. It's not a bad thing. She won the award. The quote here was for a narrative imagination that with encyclopedic passion represents the crossing of boundaries as a form of life. Who I love That's that. That's kind of a cool sentence, isn't it? Yeah. 
So we're really looking forward to this. It's going to be our first translated work of fiction for Read Along. Awesome. Yes. Very excited. Yeah, it's going to be a great way to kick off the new year. Yeah. And so we are going to the episode will air on February 18th, where we discuss the book. So if you want to participate, we'll start a Goodreads page for talking about the book online. We do allow spoilers on the Goodread page, just so you know. It never hurts if you post a comment to say spoiler, but mm. it's a kind of an understanding that you can talk in any way you want about the book. Yeah, and this is a mystery thriller, so spoilers are a little bit tricky, tri- more more <laughs> detrimental, maybe. Yes, in yes, some that's ways. true. Yeah, yeah. So if you could just let people know that there's a spoiler in your comment, that could be handy. Um, the book also, well, I should say her other book, Flights, won the Man Booker Prize in 2018. Yeah, so she's had a good couple of years. Yeah, that's definitely. awesome. And uh, did we say she's from Poland? I think so, because that no. well, I implied it because it was translated from Polish. I said, okay. but yeah. yeah, so she is um, from Poland, and I was kind of looking at like the Wikipedia page and just stuff about her. She's a leftist, vegetarian, feminist. Right on. Yeah. So she's a considered a, a writer and a public intellectual. Can't wait to read Can't it. To I'm read really it. excited about it. We're going to have a giveaway. We are. For this book. Not yet. We're just going to tease that right now. <laughs> we'll do the giveaway in January. More to come on that. Yes. All right, Emily Fine. So what are you currently reading? I'm very excited to be reading The Hollows by our buddy Jess Montgomery. I just started it yesterday and I'm already 100 pages in. I love it. She is an author that we had on on episode 68 when we talked about the first book in this series called The Widows. So good. Yes. And this is called The Kinship Series. So this is book two in The Kinship Series. And Jess is going to be on an episode 93, which will air January 7th. The book um, will be available January 14th, I think. You can pre-order it now. And the news about pre-ordering, if, if y'all aren't familiar with pre-orders, you can go to your in- local indie bookstore if you purchase through them online, or you can go to retail sellers, whatever you want to do, and you can pre-order the book, which means that the official publication date, they will send it to you or it will be available for you to pick up. And I guess the way it's working now is this really helps authors if you pre-order. So we highly recommend that you pre-order Jess's book, The Hollows. Absolutely. It helps publishers plan. It helps authors probably, I would think, and publishers in setting up events and maybe even bookstores. If a bookstore is getting a lot of pre-orders, right. maybe they could work something out and have an author event. You know, also just, you know, my kind of aging adult brain, it helps me because it's like, oh, I forgot that this book was coming out. And then you get a notice from the bookstore right. or it arrives on your doorstep, yeah. which is awesome. Exactly. Well, and one thing about pre-orders is that some independent bookstores are New York Times reporting bookstores, meaning that they are the stores that submit their top sellers to the New York Times Book Review to help create their bestseller list. Chris, you are just endless font of knowledge. Well, I had no idea about that. That's yeah, awesome. So, you know, like RJ Julia is one, mm-hmm. you know, okay. so they do that. And and it's been scandalous because sometimes unethical authors will call independent bookstores and say, are you a New York Times reporting bookstore? And if the bookseller says yes, they'll say, I'd like to order 15 copies <gasps> of whatever. <sighs> 
that's been, yeah. you know, I think more people are being trained on how to handle that. But there was a funny article in The Onion recently about that. It was discovered that one of Hemingway's books was made into a bestseller because his dad pre-ordered like <laughs> 10,000 copies or something. That's it was great. kind of funny. I don't know. I kind of give a um, wide berth to parents. I get that one. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing you can do is is um, let your local library know yeah. and have them get it ready for ordering as well. As you know, I've been locked out of recommend recommending on two libraries that I use <laughs> right now. But Will that turn over in the new year for you? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so anyway, Jess will be on to talk about her book with us. And we're really excited about that. And she'll be on just before the book comes out so as a little tease. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading this one. So and, and a reminder, this is a loosely based on the true story of the first female sheriff in Ohio yeah and then the 20s right it wasn't in the 20s, yeah it was so, in yeah. I think like 26 and um, once again there's been another murder and Lily is out trying to solve it nice so cool. that's all I'll say about that but again it's called The Hollows by Jess Montgomery the second book in the kinship series out in early January Nice. Well, I'm currently still reading Prairie Fires, which I had started last episode. I have just like 100 pages left, and um, we have book club tonight to discuss it. This is, I'm in a nonfiction book club, and this is our December read, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. It's been a fascinating read. I have to say, I posted on Instagram last night that it's, a, it's great to learn about Laura Ingalls Wilder because I really didn't know much about her life other than that author event that we attended. Right. Um, at our local library uh, regarding another book. But some little house enthusiasts weren't all that crazy about this book. And I could really understand why, because as I said in my comment, like it's, you know, it's kind of like one thing to take a peek behind the curtain, but this book is like opening the door and seeing your parents having sex. Like, yeah, it's that's pretty, different. <laughs> it's very grown up. Revealing. It's very revealing, brutal. Um, because Laura Ingalls Wilder, and her daughter, Rose, had a very complicated relationship. And just the times that they lived through. I mean, their lives were just really hard, really successful in a lot of ways. And it, it's just, it's a great read for people who are into history. Uh, the Midwest, the West, the settling of the West. Well, and to understand, because those, as we talked about, were such cherished books, mm -hmm. as was the television show. Yeah, and I think, like, there's such a dark underbelly to the real story and also to their politics. They, uh, Rose, the daughter, really um, kind of turned towards fascism mm. later in her life, and they weren't um, very sympathetic people. They were... You know, they there. It's kind of something that we see in American culture today: politicians who put down people who are on public assistance of some kind or another, and put them down as if they're lazy and they don't work hard, when their own parents were on public assistance back right. in the day. It's kind of the same thing with here. Like Charles Ingalls, Laura's dad, had gotten public aid, uh, money from the government after uh, one catastrophe, and in her letters. To her daughter, she puts down people who are, quote, looking for handouts and things like that. They're, well, we can't always see what's closest to us, which is interesting. It really is. You know? Yeah. yeah. But the, the cool thing about this book, if you're interested in literary history and how writers write and how stories get created, what's really cool is that Laura Ingalls Wilder took her, her own experiences and those of her parents and stories she'd heard 
And Rose, her daughter, was able to shape those stories into a more pleasant view. Right. Of Probably life, what she you know? wanted it to what be. What she wanted it to be. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the point. The, the author, I should say, is um, Carolyn Frazier. That's exactly what she says, that Rose was able to take her mother's drafts of the memories and shape them into what she always wanted because she had a pretty rough childhood. Right. Without a, a you know, none of these people in these circumstances had stable homes. So it was all the always a search for a stable home. So That's it's so a great read, Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder. It won the Pulitzer. Yes. Yeah, and it was listed as a 10 best books from the New York Times Book Review back in 2017. Awesome. Highly yeah. I recommend. My sister sent me a very cute picture of all of our Little House on the Prairie books from when we were kids that yeah. she still owns. And she said, I'm really surprised because on episode 90, I talked about how I didn't think that I had read them. Mm-hmm. Now, caveat. I don't necessarily remember what I read last week. <laughs> so <laughs> the idea that I would actually remember what, what I read when I was nine or something is, yeah. of course, not. But what I did send her a picture of was all of our Judy Bloom books from when we were kids that I own and <laughs> are on cool. my bookshelf right behind you, Chris, that I do remember reading. So I don't know if it's just that I have some confusion in my mind between the television show and actually reading the books or if I didn't read the books. I don't know. Yeah. But. Um, whereas Judy Bloom's books were kind of like, you know, part of my childhood because Judy Bloom helped us oh, yeah. figure out how to be. How to deal with a period. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. I yeah. remember, you know, handing the book around with friends. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah, my friend Lori in particular was like, you have to read this book. And what The I same was... with her book Wifey, too, man. That was one like, ooh, la, la. <laughs> Go into a closet and read Wifey. You don't want anyone to know you're reading it. <laughs> now, Judy Bloom's archives, she just... Uh, gave them it was awarded to i don't know if they bought them um at, to the beinecke library oh that's yeah. cool so yeah. her archive is being set up there i would like cool. to go see that well i'm also reading the yellow house by sarah m broom she just won the national book award this is a memoir about her childhood home in new orleans and the devastation of it being torn, not, I don't know if it was torn down. I haven't gotten that far in the book, but it was devastated by Hurricane Katrina and the significance that the house had in her family growing up. Cause I believe she's one of 12 children that her single mother raised. It's been on my radar for a long time. I've had it on request from the library for months and literally the day she won the National Book Award, it came in That's awesome. as available. And I was like, wow, what luck is that? Because I'm sure that the request list got much longer today. You yeah. know? But um, I'm only a, a little ways into it. And she's a very interesting writing style. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Nice. Yeah. I'm also reading Farmer Boy by Laura Ingalls Wilder, the second book in the little house but i i'm stalled on that because i needed to jam on this book for book, for book club, club tonight so, yeah yeah good well i'll look forward to hearing more about that so what did you just read oh i just read a forthcoming mystery that i really enjoyed um this is actually it's not forthcoming it just came out december 3rd oh so it is yeah. out in the world now thin ice by Paige shelton now, if her name rings a bell, it's because she is one prolific mystery writer. Holy she smokes. actually has several series. The Scottish Bookshop Mystery Series, which my friend Missy says she loves. And um, then there's the Country Cooking School Mystery Series, the Farmer's Market Mystery Series, Red Hot Daily Peppers, 
a mini mystery. I'm not sure what that is. There's two entries in that series. And then the Dangerous Type Mystery Series, which sounds really fun. Type being fonts and stuff. The first book is to Helvetica and back. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) I was was thinking you have to listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers while you're reading the (laughs) Chili Pepper Mysteries. Who knows? Oh, I don't wow. Know. I'm interested to check so out. So is this a standalone then? No, this is a brand new series. Oh. This takes place in Alaska. Beth Rivers is the character. In the story, she's actually a New York Times bestselling thriller author under the name of Elizabeth Fairchild. That's her pen name. She's kidnapped in Missouri, where she lives, which is kind of coincidence because that's where Laura Ingalls oh, Wilder yeah. lived and stuff. So it's, I, you know, it's kind of fun when those things happen. But she's kidnapped and she escapes, but obviously she's tormented. Her escape, um, she ended up with a really major head injury and had brain surgery. Against the advice of everyone, she leaves the hospital and goes to Alaska without telling anyone because she just needs to be someplace safe because she's terrified that this person who kidnapped her, who hasn't been caught, is on the loose still and that he's going to still come and get her. Because I think he's kind of like a deranged fan. Oh, gosh. I think most of Paige Shelton's books are on the cozy side. So there's not like extreme violence in here. And it's even made clear that she was not raped during her captivity, which is, you know, that takes some of that edge off while you're reading a book. Like, oh, God, am, am I gonna, is there going to be some horrid flashback that right. I'm going to have to read? So there's um, the, the violence is all off the page and, and it's not uh, gratuitous. No, no blood splatter yeah. for Chris. Sorry. <laughs> so Beth heads to this small town in Alaska, like population 500 people. And she's landing in a plane. And just as she lands, uh, they find out that there's been a murder, suicide in town. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, totally. I like the first sentence of the book. The good thing about being suddenly overcome with fresh terror is that you forget everything else you were afraid of. Oh, isn't that so true? Yeah, at least temporarily. Yes. So I enjoyed it. I like this character. It is the first in a series. The ending definitely leaves you knowing that there's going to be more coming. And I, I like the characters. They all seemed really real without being caricature Because, mm-hmm. you know, like I think Small Town Alaska, some authors could do the same thing as like Southern authors I shouldn't say Southern authors, Southern characters sometimes end up being such caricatures because they are so imprinted in our culture. Right. Um, But this is really satisfying. So there's the tension between her own situation, being on the run, trying to stay off the grid. Whatever happened to this person who died slash was murdered slash committed suicide, there's that. And the only person in town who knows who she actually is, is the local sheriff. Oh, okay. And so part of Beth's background is she was partially raised by her grandfather. He was a lawman back in Missouri, and she worked as his secretary for quite a while. So she knows a lot about law enforcement and forensic investigation, measuring blood splatter and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So I enjoyed it very much. It was a really quick read for me. And I have a review on Criminal Element that we could put a link to. Oh, great. That's awesome. I will do that in the show notes. So again, that was Thin Ice by Paige Shelton. I like the idea of thrillers that aren't too scary. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've mentioned before that I live in the woods by myself. 
And so I have to be really careful about what I read and what I watch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, this is a complete sidebar. But this week I had a little, very minor, but a little surgery, oral surgery. And I was by myself and I was working. It was really late at night. And all of a sudden there was a knock at my door. And I went to go to the door and I realized my door was unlocked. Oh. And so I like quietly locked the door because it gets dark here at four o'clock now people just so you and know it's really dark it's on the really dark there's not yeah. there's not light like we don't yeah. even have street lights unless right. there's an intersection so and i and i you know i didn't have any of my porch lights or anything on so i flick on the light and i say who is it and i hear it's me and i was like I probably should recognize a voice, but that's not helpful. So I was like, you know, all of these thoughts are going through your head. Like, what will I do? You know? Yeah. And I just decided to open the door and there was the gentleman caller, big old smile on his face. He's like, I wanted to surprise you. And I was like, you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and then he felt horrible. He said, I guess next time I'll call you and say, Hey, open your door. I'm standing on the porch. Right. I'm like, yeah, that would be better. But, um, so why am I telling you that? Oh, I'm easily scared, yeah. I guess. And um, it's good to not read things that make that worse. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that's why I don't, you know, I know we joke about the blood splatter and everything, but I really don't read violent books like I used to, you know, yeah. especially usually I avoid serial killer yeah. type books, anything involving torture and things like that. I just can't take it anymore. Well, anything that makes me look at my neighbors cross-eyed, you know, like, oh, could you be doing that creepy thing that I just read about? That's how I felt about Silence of the Lambs. I was like, I don't want to know if my neighbor is sewing a mannequin out of people's skin. You know? Okay. Did, did I ever tell you the story about when I was reading? Well, I was really into reading Patricia Cornwell. Did I tell you about that story when I was visiting my mom? And it's wintertime. There's a snowstorm out. So this is, you know, Illinois, northern Illinois. And I was down in the family room watching TV. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. I, mm. I like, I jumped over the back of the couch and <laughs> ran out the door, like, in a second flat. Yeah. And I'm standing out there in the middle of the street. So I notice all the other houses on the street are out. So I was like, okay, it's not just our house. Because in one in Patricia Cornwell novels, there are a couple where somebody cuts the lights right. to the house, you know? Yeah. So, and then it was so funny because then my mom pulls up with her friend. They were out to dinner and she pulls up. And I'm out there in my, like, just a sweatshirt <laughs> and jeans. And luckily, I had my gym shoes on. I'm just standing out there, and snow's blowing everywhere. And she's like, what are you doing outside? I'm like, oh, I'm just checking out the snow. <laughs> right. Just getting a little fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just read The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. This is a book that I had DNF'd, actually. Um, it's, it's a book that a lot of people were talking about, I think, in 2018. And then when I was at the Charleston to Charleston Literary Festival, I saw her speak, and it gave oh. me the impetus to go back and revisit the book, which often happens, I think. Yeah. I mean, also what happens is you read a book from start to finish, and you may be kind of ho-hum on it, mm -hmm. and then you see the author speak, and you feel completely different about the book. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's like that earlier conversation we had about when authors are doing yucky things. Can you read the book? Can you not? And right. I think when you meet somebody, and 
you see them in person, it really opens up their bucket in a different way. Right. And in this one in particular, which to remind people, even though I've, I did speak about it on an earlier episode, it's about the beginning of the AIDS crisis in Chicago in the 80s. And then it jumps in time, it goes back and forth with different chapters to 2015, where some of the characters who have survived the epidemic, and a sister of one of the characters who passes away, and who helped to was friends with a lot of the gentlemen that were dying and helped to take care of them during their death is now in 2015 in Paris searching for her daughter. So there are these two different storylines that occur. And part of what Rebecca Mackay talked about was that when she was going to research this topic, she was shocked that there was really little writing on this subject. Mm -hmm. So she really wanted to write like the book. She didn't set off that way. And that wasn't her intention. But she wanted to write a book that kind of memorialized this time period, you know, Mm -hmm. and and even, you know, it touches on people who ended up in the hospital who had no family to visit them and how important the nurses were that took care of them. Or I think a huge subject of the book really is about our chosen family. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to to gay people Mm -hmm. there, you know, we are the families we create is one of the slogans. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's a very um, interesting portrait of that and the complexity too, of the era when men were just starting to understand the disease and how some of them were taking risks and some of them weren't. And then when AZT came in to being available, but it was so incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. and how, you know, insurances would do anything to not pay for it and to try to prove that it was a pre-existing condition and things like that. Yeah. So she covers a lot of territory with the book. Um, I still didn't love it. I mean, I think she's a fantastic writer and it was the complexity of the story was really interesting. The way she wove back in time with the future. The truly hard part for me was the number of characters. which I know I probably am like a broken record. I talk about that a lot, but there, I mean, there were some points where I was counting and I was reading this on my e-reader, but there were like 12 character names on a page, you know, and it's like, my head's going to (laughs) explode. But when I finally just gave it up and just said, just, you know, read this for the story, I did much better, but I do recommend it. I mean, it's a heavy read. Mm -hmm. It might not be the right book to read around the holidays or even in the dark days of winter, if you live in a winter climate. But um, it, do, it historically, it's a very interesting book to read, and it really places that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, oh. The Great Believers, Rebecca Mackay. Well, the other book, uh, well, it wasn't a book, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I read The Sculptor's Funeral, which is a short story by Willa Cather for the Willa Cather Short Story Project. And, you know, I vaguely remember reading it before. It was one of the first stories I've read of hers, and it's about... A guy who grew up, it's set in Kansas, I believe, who grew up out there in, you know, pioneer days and leaves, goes east, I believe, to Boston and becomes a successful sculptor, a very feeling man who has compassion and understanding and creates beautiful works of art. He dies at a young age, I think 40, and is taken back to be buried at his in his hometown and one of his students accompanies his body so it's all about that student's view of this man's family and community who are the typical small town small-minded people 
that you encounter in a lot of American literature mm -hmm. of this time period. And it's interesting because um, one of the comments from a reader who um, engaged with the, this on my blog, Gina in Alabama, talked about how the story really reminded her of the Jay Gatsby funeral scene in The Great Gatsby. There's a little bit of a reversal that's going on there. And it was an interesting comment because a lot of people talk about Fitzgerald writing to Cather about fearing that people would think he plagiarized a lost lady mm. for, you know, scenes in The in Great Gatsby. Um, but it was cool to see this other connection now between Cather and Fitzgerald mm -hmm. and, and somebody uh, picking up on that. So it was a good story. It was a brutal story. You know, it's also, too, it's not just a small town mindset, I think. It's also that when you leave a place as a young person, people back home still tend to think of you as that young person. So, you know, they might think you're lazy or clumsy or who knows. But then, you know, you grow into the adult you become and right. you're not that same person anymore. So there's some of that. There's also some homophobia in here and... Uh, you know, the one who got away is often the one who is most attacked. Yeah. But anyway, that was the sculptor's funeral by Willa Cather. And we'll link to Chris's blog post about that. And I have a question about the Willa Cather short story project. Mm -hmm. Was this a 2019 thing or is it going on? Oh, it's going on. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's going on into next year. And then after, because I started with this, it's the collected short stories of Cather, her short stories that had been published in book form is what it is. But then there are a lot of other short stories out there. And I think if I were to do it again, I would utilize the Willa Cather archive and go in chronological order. Um, yeah. But this is how I started it. So I'm going through um, with it's a vintage classic book okay. that we're just going through month by month. So when that book is finished, I'll start going back to some of the uncollected stories and do those probably in chronological order. Got it. Yeah. So it's not too late. If you want to jump in, it's not as if you had to participate from the beginning. You can Absolutely. just read a story when you have time or if there's one that's appealing to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. And a cool thing is, too, that this year, um, the Willa Cather Spring Conference in Red Cloud, Nebraska, which they hold every year, I believe it's in early June. The theme and this year it's on Youth and the Bright Medusa which came out in 1920, which is a collection of her short stories. So the theme is going to be on that short story collection, which is pretty cool. That's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they do that, because my book club has noticed that when we try to talk about a book of short stories, it's a lot harder than talking about a novel. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. So the other book I read was The Great Santini by Pat Conroy. Hey, Pat Conroy. I finished it. I have to say I liked it. I did not like it as much as South of Broad, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite books. I just love that book so much. But um, this, and I talked about this on episode 90, so I won't go into it in too much depth. But I picked it up because I had been in Charleston where everything was Pat Conroy at the bookstores. And I was like, I need some Pat Conroy. And I realized I hadn't read this one. So it's semi-autobiographical. It's about a young family that, a military family, the father is, um, what does he call himself again? Um, oh, the Great Santini. Oh, right. The yeah. Great Santini. Right. Bull Meacham is his Bull name. Bull Meacham, right. Yeah. That's what I was trying to remember. His yeah. name is Bull Meacham, but he refers to himself as the Great Santini to his... Well, because pilots all have a handle. They they have a nickname of some kind, like think of Maverick and Top Gun. Right. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's the Great Santini. You know, he aimed high. <laughs> 
and how he runs his family kind of in a militaristic way and the perspective of his wife who's you know the classic military wife who they move all the time and the kids have to kind of remake themselves every time that they get into a new town and there's some fun threads like the the oldest boy is very torn about becoming a military person which of course his father expects will happen but he's also a gifted basketball player and there's some basketball scenes that are very fun to read and things like that. So I I enjoyed it very much. I just didn't like it as much as South Abroad. Mm-hmm. And the military things, like some of the military bar scenes got a little bit, I actually had to skim them, which I don't typically skim ever in a book. But I was like, I don't want to read about men drinking and, you know, like hitting each other on the shoulders anymore. <laughs> Well, the movie, the opening scene of the movie is quite something. Yeah, and and I do want to watch the movie. I've never seen it. Jim has seen it and said he really liked it. So The Great Santini, Pat Conroy. Did you read anything else? I read one other book. No, ma'am, I did not. I read Sourdough, or Lois and Her Adventures in the Underground Market by Robin Sloan. And for anyone who recognizes that author's name, his other book was Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Oh, yeah. Which has got a lot of praise and is on my TBR as well. I picked up a copy of this when I was up in Portland, Maine, last week. And when I finished The Great Believers, I needed something light. Yeah. And that. this fit the bill. It literally is about sourdough bread. <laughs> it's a novel. It's not a work of fiction. Um, But it's about a young woman who moves to San Francisco and is working in a tech company. And she starts to order, I think she gets like a flyer on her new apartment door for a restaurant. And she places an order and they bring her super spicy soup and a piece of this incredible sourdough bread. Sounds good to me. Yeah, really good. And then one day, and what do they call her? They call her the number one something. I'm sorry, I can't remember right now. Like the number one orderer or something like that. And so she, one day, it turns out that the people have to move, the people who run the restaurant, and they leave her her the sourdough starter. Oh, nice. She's called, she's referred to as number one eater, which <laughs> I love. I'll take that moniker. <laughs> and so she starts to learn how to bake sourdough bread. And then she ends up baking sourdough bread in Alameda at the old naval base there, which if my brother lives in Alameda. So this was hilarious to me because I have literally walked by the old naval base in a market that opens there. That's where things like there used to be kind of radioactive material there. So it's a little bit strange inside. And there's a cricket farm and a person making unusual espresso And there's a thread about slurry, which is in Silicon Valley right now, a true thing is that people don't even want to take time to stop to eat. So they're eating like this food substitute. So slurry is there, is is Robin Sloan's way of talking about that. So there's someone at this market trying to create, you know, a food replacement pill or like bar or something, you know, which doesn't really make sense. I don't know. I mean, that's still eating something or ingesting something, but it's like not taking time to really eat. Mm -hmm. It's like whatever's in this package is all you need to survive, you know? Yeah. So it was just a fun little wild ride. It was a very light read. There's some humor in it. 
and a young person trying to make decisions about what to do with their life and, and not being wooed by the big dollars of the startup world as well. So, Sounds good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I read it in a minute, you know, and it was, as I said, the perfect foil to the heaviness of the great believers. Yeah. So again, that's called Sourdough by Robin Sloan. Biblio Adventures. Woohoo! I didn't go on any. I've had visitors at the house. Yeah, so, yes. you've been busy entertaining. I went to Portland, Maine for Thanksgiving. I had a fantastic time. I met my children there. This was my daughter Rachel's idea about six months ago. She said, I think we should meet in Portland, Maine. I was like, okay. <laughs> Don't twist my arm. That's my favorite state. So we got a great little Airbnb and just spent, Rachel and I were actually there for five days. She's in education, so she got the week off. And then various members of the family and friends started joining as the week progressed. So it was really fun. I have been to Print Bookstore in Portland before. That's the only bookstore I visited there. And so I actually walked by Print like six times. I am not kidding, but never went in. But I did get to go to Sherman's Books and Stationery, and that was a fantastic bookstore. They had a really fun local author section. We had a local author post a photo of himself there in response to our post about That's the awesome. bookstore, yeah. which was really fun. <laughs> Um, they had really fun sidelines, uh, and Rachel and I had a great time shopping there. We spent a good hour or two browsing the shelves. And then I also got to Longfellow Books, which I guess has the largest magazine selection in the state of Maine or something, Very which nice. was really true, Yeah, which is kind of cool. It's hard to find magazines now, I think. It is. I was at the Yale Barnes & Noble mm -hmm. the, just yesterday, actually, and they really don't even have magazines anymore mm. unless they move them someplace where I don't know because the last time I did notice them there, it was a teeny tiny section. Yeah. Whereas the Barnes & Noble up in North Haven, they do have a pretty sizable magazine selection but they're all pretty mainstream yeah so to, to find a a store that has really a diverse selection yeah it's pretty exciting yeah and they also had um a, like three library carts of used books cool. which i brought really browsed and that's where i picked up sourdough and then i also picked up osprey island by Fisby nissen i think that's how you pronounce her name and this is a new author to me, and I'm really excited because when I read about her, her books are really well thought of. And, you know, I live with an osprey nest right outside my window. So it just, once I read what this was about, I was like, oh, That's this, cool. I just have to, I have it, to read it. And it was a Chicago Tribune best book of the year when it came out. Yeah. So nice. I'm very excited cool. to read that. And then we also wanted to talk about a biblio adventure that we didn't go on. But our roving reporter Aunt Ellen went on <laughs> and shared with us actually quite some time ago, and we just haven't had a chance to mention it. She was walking along her neighborhood, I believe, and she came across a book cart, a literary book cart called Common Books. And the woman's name is Brittany Bond, and she specializes in paperbacks of female writers. Mm -hmm. That was so much fun because Aunt Ellen texted me some pictures of Willa Cather novels that she had and said, do you want me to get any of these for you? Yeah. And they were all editions I had already. So. There's a shock. <laughs> <laughs> but what Ellen did buy for us is a book of Margaret Atwood's poems. Selected poems. And I have to admit, 
this was not a surprise to Chris, who has more of a literary background than me, but I didn't know Margaret Atwood was a poet. Well, you know what? I really don't know when I learned that she was a poet, but I definitely knew it more recently because Louise Penny incorporates poetry in her novels, the Three Pines uh, mystery series, the Chief Inspector Gamache, because one of the characters, Ruth, is a poet. And some of the poems that she uses have been Margaret Atwood's. And that's, in my recent memory, how I know that. This book came out in 1976. So she's been writing poetry for a little while. <laughs> yeah, she has been. It came out in 1976, and it was four ninety five when it first came out. Isn't that amazing? And she looks like she's like, what, in her early 30s maybe in that photo? We'll have to post a picture of this book. It's yeah, cool. it's really beautiful. And this cart the um, common books cart is often parked at Seward Park so for those of you who are New Yorkers or visit New York you might go on like a where's Waldo hunt and see if you can find her mm -hmm. she also does sell books via her Instagram so we will put her Instagram contact information in the show notes as well so thank you Aunt Ellen yeah. for sharing your biblio adventure and you know we just want to say to people we would love to know about your Biblio adventures. Yeah. We, we sometimes get pictures of people out on their jaunts and we just love it. So yeah. please yeah, email, share. share on social media. It's fun to see what everybody's up to around the country and around the world. Yes. Yeah. We really would like to know. And you also, you know, feel free to suggest adventures to us. You know what? That's a great idea. If there's a place in new England that you want us to visit, let us know and yeah. we will do our best to make it there and visit and give you a report on it. Yeah. Whether it's a place you've been or that you've always wanted to go to, that would be fun. And we have this new portable equipment that mm -hmm. we can take with us on adventures. And oh we really gosh. want to start doing that more. So please. Yeah. Book cougars on assignment. That's right. Or book cougars on the prowl. We can't <laughs> decide. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my Biblio adventures. So upcoming jaunts. You know, I looked to see what's coming out in the world and things kind of slow down in December a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have anything on the horizon. Do you? You know, I have something tomorrow, which will be, you know, after this um, post, but it's a play, an adaptation of Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. Oh, wow. Which was a short story and it was adapted into a play and... Uh, the Theater Artist Workshop in Norwalk, Connecticut, is doing a fundraiser. So it's Friday night and uh, Saturday matinee. So my wife is on the board there, and she's running the lights for the show. So oh, I'm going to be going on Saturday to check it out. Because I'm not really familiar with Truman Capote's work other than... In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the only thing I've ever read of his. So I, I didn't read that. I watched the movie. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I read it, and I know it was groundbreaking at the time mm -hmm. for the way he incorporated narrative into the nonfiction, and I'm sure there's a lot more to that yeah. about why it was so groundbreaking. He did get emotionally involved, I think, with one of the suspects, yeah. which was, you know, used to be quite the no-no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do want to try and read the short story. Before you before go. Before I go. Yeah. I know it's online. So before we talk about upcoming reads, I wanted to say that there's one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about our holiday gift giving ideas on episode 90, which is to remind people that this is a great time of year to donate. Mm, yeah. Donate to 
literary causes, donate to your local library, donate to the Book Cougars if you feel inclined. We now accept PayPal, which is exciting. I set that up recently. So you can go to the bookcougars.com website and there's a donate slash subscribe tab. Feel free to take a peek at that. You can donate through Patreon. You can send us something directly or donate via PayPal. Yeah. And, you know, I noticed, too, that um, like the Harriet Beecher Stowe House, they had a, a, a buy one, get one free. When you become a member, you could donate a membership to a friend or family member. Oh, that's that's awesome. kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, especially for those people that you have in your life that you really don't know what to get them. Or, you know, I just actually driving home from the gentleman callers this morning, I just listened to the fresh air episode that was all about where does our where do our donations go? Mm -hmm. And it just made you me realize like stuff, you know, we all have so much stuff and what happens to our stuff. And there are this time of year, I think people can get really stressed out about like, how, how do I figure out what to get for that person that has plenty of stuff? Mm -hmm. And I think memberships to things like, you know, we've talked about this, like the Mark Twain house or a membership library, things like that can be really fun or donating in someone's name. I know that can be really meaningful to Absolutely. people. So yeah. just something I wonder, my, this is always the time of year where I sit down and start to think about a lot of the places I want to donate to. Um, and it was just giving Tuesday this past Tuesday. And I get a lot of philanthropic emails, you know, and it broke records, billions of dollars was donated this last Tuesday. So kudos to people spreading good, good cheer out in the world. Upcoming reads. I have two things on my list. How about you? I have two as well. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. I have one um, called How Not to Die Alone by Richard Roper. It kind of sounds like a nonfiction, but it's fiction and oh. it's supposed to be kind of fun and um, just a, a quick romp of a, I think a little bit of a comedic novel. Okay. I don't know. I haven't like, started it. That's a title for the winter. Exactly. Exactly. I know it sounds a little creepy, but then when I was reading, I think I originally got this through NetGalley, but it's out now. I think it came out in May. It sounded really fun and uplifting. It's a very funny title though, isn't it? How Not to Die Alone. Yeah. How Not to Die Alone. And I want a, a novel. It's very powerful was called Every Man Dies Alone by Hans Falada, who was a German writer during the Nazi regime, who was put into a, I think he was put into like a psychiatric oh, hospital. He was, dark. you know, anti-Nazi. And of course you were, yeah, Condemned. anyway. So yeah, <laughs> when I think, it, and it's true, I guess every man dies alone. We all die alone. Even if we're surrounded by people, we're the only yep. one doing the dying. Yeah. Just like how they say you have to be born alone, mm -hmm. you know. Wow, we're getting deep, wow. aren't we? <laughs> well, so I hope it's a comedy. Maybe there's like some weird underlying message. More to come. <laughs> All right. So one of the books I have on my list is Labyrinth of Ice, The Triumph and Tragic Greenly Polar Expedition. You have a, an ice theme this time. I do. It's, it's actually the triumphant and tragic Greeley polar expedition by buddy levy and this was a, a review copy i got from the publisher it just came out it's from st martin's press and i'm really looking forward to it it i do love ship stories we mm -hmm. know that i love winter and ice so 
yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know much about this expedition. It was a successful expedition in that they got there, but then they didn't come home. Oh, so. I wouldn't call that a success. <laughs> well, it was halfway successful. It's supposed to be round trip, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and this was, I think it was like in the 1880s. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. So it's cool because it starts off, you know, the end papers are a map of different routes, it looks like. Yeah, 1881. Yeah, very cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Nonfiction it is. I'm talking like Yoda. Yoda. I know Yoda. you just sounded <laughs> like Yoda, which is so funny because the gentleman Colin and I just watched the, the Star Wars that came and went that I didn't even notice because the new one's coming out on December mm -hmm. 20th. And I started like giggling and I just turned into a 15 year old when Yoda made an appearance because yeah. I just loved the Star Wars movie when I was a kid. I did too. Did you have you seen the pictures of baby Yoda? floating around the internet no i guess the new movie has yoda as a baby oh god that's something really to look <laughs> forward to i love yoda i do too so it pleases me that you were just talking about like yoda so the next book i have as an upcoming read i'm sorry everyone is a big tease because this doesn't come out until march which actually really isn't that far away no but Sadly. it's yeah exactly <laughs> 2020 i can't even wrap it my head around like saying that fiction. i know it really totally. does yeah so March 3rd, 2020, The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich. Oh, cool. I'm a huge Louise Erdrich fan. And when I saw she had a new one coming out, I got in touch with the publisher and said, pretty please. And she sent me an e-copy. Again, pre-orders, let your local library know. I think she's very popular, but I don't think, I can't always find her stuff mm -hmm. readily. So I think, I think if you're in Minnesota in that area, you can. The Night Watchman, I think it's loosely based on her grandfather. So that mm -hmm. sounds kind of interesting. Well, the other book I have is also forthcoming in the United States anyway. It's Emma Visick's new entry in her mystery series featuring the deaf private eye. The title is Darkness for Light. Now, it just mm -hmm. came out December 3rd in Australia. It comes out March 5th in the U.K., and then June 9th in the U.S. So if you're one of those book depository people, you can get a copy now if you want. You can. Absolutely. I, I got a copy from NetGalley. Um, thank you, NetGalley, for that. And in the meantime, check out her first two novels because they really are good. Resurrection Bay was the first title and then And Fire Came Down. I really think these are great mysteries, a really unique character and a very different way of investigating so check them out. Yeah, that's great. But can't can't you through Book Depository get things from other countries? Am oh I yeah, losing I, my no, mind? you're okay. not. I bought um, her first two novels through Book Depository. Okay. Actually, her first novel was really hard for me to find because you know I'm in the U.S. Australian books are not that popular here, right. so it was quite a challenge to get that first one. Her second was much easier through Book Depository. And you can get that now right, through a book depository, or you can go to amazon.co.aus and make an account, an Australian account, and order it that way. Oh, okay. I've cool. ordered in the past from the UK that way, um, but nowadays I just use book depository, or I've ordered directly from the publisher, which is, I think, what I did probably with that first Resurrection Bay title. Okay. I might have had to have gone that route. But I was I participate in the Australian Women Writers Challenge every year, right? Which is a great way to discover writers 
in Australia who are not, you know, popular here yet or even known here yet. Right. I mean, Mm. everybody knows Jane Harper, or at least, you know, mystery thriller readers know Jane Harper's name. And she's the author of The Dry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a couple other Force of Nature, I think, was another one. So that's what I have coming up in my reading week, or the next two weeks anyway. And Chris ordered her copy of Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead from Book Depository. And so we're going to also post pictures because we have very different covers because hers is the Australian version. Yeah, I have the um, text publishing version. And I know that some of my really bookish friends like to order their books through Book Depository because they want to choose the cover because you can, you know, like sometimes someone likes the Brit- like the British cover better than the American cover. I know. Well, that's the case with Emma Visick's new novel, The Darkness for Light. I like the UK cover yeah. more than the Australian cover this time, but I'm going to get the Australian version so it matches my other two copies that I already have. Yeah. Because cool. that's another thing, yeah. right? When you When you want to collect an author... And if they change publishers or the publisher changes format, you're like, oh, man, none right. of the books don't match. So. Yeah. I remember my daughter, Rachel, was a big, she had all of the um, Harry Potters and she even has them in Spanish. But then she also had, what's that series? Series of Unfortunate Events. Mm-hmm. And she had them all, but she had one that was paperback. And I remember it just bugged her, you yeah, know, because she had this beautiful shelf of all of them because there were a lot. And then the one paperback in the middle. Yeah. Well, we had that with our Harry Potter collection because Laura was a super fan from the get go. And I became a fan through her and through working at Borders through all of the midnight releases and everything. But we lost our second entry. I don't know if we loaned it out to somebody or something. So for a while, we had a paperback version and then we found a a hardcover. So we have the complete set again. (laughs) And it's really fascinating because we've recently had a lot of people in the house (laughs) doing work and whatnot. And, you know, one of the younger guys, well, not that young, probably in his 30s, saw, he's like, Harry Potter, he's like, that's a great series. He's like, you know, the movies are okay, but the books are awesome. And it was just really (laughs) cool to hear that. Yeah. Because you don't always hear that when it comes to stuff like Harry Potter. A lot of people have just seen the movies and maybe haven't read the books. So it's always a delight when somebody loves the books. Absolutely. Because the books are always better, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to agree with that. There have been some exceptions to that rule, but I tend to. Yeah. But that's half of the fun, though, is knowing the book and then seeing the adaptation. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I heard, oh, gosh, I have to track down who said this. I think it was on the New York Times Book Review podcast. They were talking about a movie adaptation, and the person said it was a woman, and she said, I think a movie adaptation is good when it causes me to think about the book in a way I hadn't before. Oh, that's interesting. You know, which is really good because, you know, you can't take a big book and strip it down to a 90-minute movie and incorporate everything. So I think if the writer, the screenwriter, and the director can zero in on different things that way, that's that's pretty exciting. It's a neat way to look at it. Yeah, I was just listening to an interview with Edward Norton, who has – he was the director of that new movie that's out, Motherless Brooklyn, Mm. based on a – is it Jonathan Lethem? I think that novel – and it's very different than the book. And he said that he and the author really talked about that and why Norton thought that these certain things should be different and that the author really agreed with it. And he mm-hmm. felt like the book is just kind of a jump start a ju- or jumping off point, I guess is the best way to say it, mm-hmm. and was thrilled with the direction that Norton took with the movie. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what's happening, like Reese Witherspoon now is her production company is taking books and making, you know, movies and serialized television shows out of them. And it is about the authors writing a book and giving a story arc idea. Right. And then different things can happen with them. Yeah. You know, we humans, we're all about stories in whatever format. Yes. For sure. You know, and being, for me, it's being taken out of my own busy mind, mm-hmm. which I need a lot of help with. <laughs> so. That's why I watched the Bears game last night. because I thought <laughs> I just need to shut my head off for yeah. a while and yep, be entertained. I, you know, sometimes I think football is the most ridiculous sport on earth. And other times I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. We all like it in various <laughs> forms. Well, well, all right, everyone. Episode 91 is a wrap. And reminder, our next read-along is Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczyk. Is that right? Um, I think it might be kind of like Tukarchuk. 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 We'll get that finalized as we keep announcing it. And we will be... You know what? There's a... I'm sorry, Emily. I'm just totally talking. (laughs) I'm in my own head thinking of pronunciations. When I was looking at pronunciations, you know, you can choose an American accent or a UK and they are very different. Mm-hmm. The American ones I was looking at were more like Tukarchuk. Maybe we should do it with a Polish accent and really find out. Well, I could call some of my cousins and ask. Yeah. And speak a little bit of Polish. Or I figured what I always do is cheat and just go try to find an interview with her where the interviewer says her name. And then I'm like, okay, hopefully they did you know, it right. I found, <laughs> I found an interview and the person was like, we're here with Olga. <laughs> Olga, who, you know? Oh, that's actually a pretty good way to handle it. We're with Olga T. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about Olga T's book on the episode that will air on February 18th. So So, you have some time to read it. Couple couple months to get a copy and read it and and hopefully join us as we talk about this award-winning thriller. And we will be doing our giveaway for the book in January. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. Until then, happy happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.